He is seated. He controls all things. Everything good, everything bad, he controls it all. Why don't we turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, I decided instead of going through 1 Corinthians as, as we have been going through for the past couple years. I, three years. Um, I wanted to go through Psalm 27 because I think, uh, I think 2022 started off with a bang, didn't it? (laughs) So I wanted to meet and speak about this. This is dispelling fear in God. Not that you're fearing God, but that all your fears would be cast upon him. And I think we all need to have this. We all need to be reminded of this. Or if you are a younger Christian and you're just growing and coming to understand this, there will be times when you feel like you're going to faint. And your Lord is faithful. So let's pray. Father, we want to pray. Thank you that we are able to meet. Lord, uh, we do not take it for granted. We remember all of uh, the mandates that were put on us. And we remember times when we were meeting outside. We had no place to meet. We do not take this for granted. It is a holy thing for the people of God to come together and worship you. To sing your praises. To sing the battle cries that says that you are on the throne. You rule. And so, Father, there are many in our church that have been sick, that are sick. God, we pray that you would please heal them, restore them to health. May they trust in you as they are (coughs) going through this time. We want to pray for our dear brother Mike. We want to pray for his surgery that he had. And uh, we pray for a fast recovery. We pray that he would continue to trust in you, Lord. We pray for this year. God, we want to give this year to you. Let this be a year that our energy and our focus and our priorities are spent on the living Christ. We want to walk closer with you this year. If we don't know you, Lord, I pray that there's, if there are those who don't know you, I pray that they would come to know you in truth this year. I pray that we would learn to love each other even more deeply in the Lord. I pray that you would use RBC as a place where the gospel is actually preached. Where it is not watered down, Father, may we be a a committed body for your glory. We pray that we would be a a place, a pulpit, a, a fellowship where consistent encouragement in the Lord is given in in your scriptures. Lord, I want to pray for our disciples. I pray, Father, that they would pursue you this year. Lord, that they would pursue their people, that they are discipling, that there would be a sweet relationship of of turning to the Lord in the scriptures. I want to pray for our home fellowship group leaders. I pray that they would grow. Lord, would you multiply our groups? 
Would the fellowship be sweet, we pray. I pray for the staff of Happy Harbor. Oh, help them as they are ministering to our young ones and giving the gospel. We want to pray for our AV team, our music team, Crew 412, uh, Christ Our Anchor College Group. Father, we pray for all of our ministries. We lay them before you this year. Give us strength in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I, as I was um, helping my kids, we were drilling some wrestling. They were about to compete. I got a FaceTime call from my brother Mike and um, Magalso. And he called me. He was all kind of hopped up on drugs. And I saw his face and he saw my face. And he said, Angelo, they found another infection in my spine. And I, I, I teared looking at him. I said, I said I'm so sorry, Mike. I'm so sorry. Because I remember what happened three years ago, how uh, it paralyzed him for quite some time. He was in a wheelchair. And he says, they're going to operate tonight. Uh, what, do you, what do you say at that? Keep your head up? Is that what you say? Oh, oh, you got this? Is that what you say? Really? You really say that? And I was thinking, well, Oh, how am I, what am I going to preach? What am I going to preach to Ellen and to the kids? What do they need? What does our church need? And so I, I was, I was led to Psalm twenty-seven because we can be fearful, right? So many hard things that come. You guys already know. I've, uh, I've, I've done. Sp- so many funerals. I keep going up north to do funerals. And there are times that you can start to faint. But let me tell you, God blesses you with this psalm this morning so that he would dispel fear as you trust in him through faith. Oh, believer, you can cast yourself onto this God who has given his son for you to dispel fear. In Psalm 27, we're not sure if David is being chased by Saul or Absalom or other enemies. From the context, we do know that he feared for his life. But what is it that removes paralysis? Paralysis from David's heart or even the believer's heart Let me tell you, it's not going to be emotions or your own will or your own drive. It's going to be truth. If you are overwhelmed, if you are meditating on the truth of who God is, that is your only bedrock, brothers and sisters. The truth about God, his character, and his salvation. And this is what you'll need in 2022. I do not know what each of you have in store for you. But none of us are immune to trial. To struggle. In fact, I'd be surprised if you had no trials or struggles. This is what 
God uses for the holiness of his people. This psalm pulls no punches. As one commentator said, it's both lament and laud. It is persecution and praise. It is warfare and it is worship. Most of what is preached as Christianity these days have no category for suffering. The proponents of the prosperity gospel teach that only health and wealth will come to believers. And that if you're a healthy believer, I mean, if you are a believer that only trusts in God, then you'll be healthy and wealthy. That is not true. There's nowhere in scripture. In fact, Psalm 27 would refute it. In many churches, there is this very ignorant and pervading and unbiblical dualism where anything good in life is from God and anything bad has a demon in it. The, and the way they deal with trials is to cast out this demon or bind that demon, which again is unbiblical. There's the demon of COVID, the demon of the flu, the demon of, 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 of the AV stuff not working. That's a demon. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we look at the world that way and not through the lens of God's sovereignty, you will not know where to lay your head. God is in control of it all. Amen. Rather, from the life of David, we see a man terrified of his trials, but trusting in the Savior to go through, the, through them. What steadies David's mind, what settles his heart, is God. Particularly three truths about God that have a direct bearing on David to have courage. And as, as he has courage, brothers and sisters, we, we see the same very eternal truths that come to us to have courage as well. Now to dispel fear and trust in God through your trials, there are three truths you must constantly remind yourself in regards to God. Our distractions will lead us astray. Our other interests will lead us astray. But the first reminder is number one. Remember, saint, God redeems. You have to remember that. God redeems. Amen? Notice in verses 1 through 6, he says, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? This is David's absolute refusal. Notice his refusal to see any trial outside of the lens of the salvation that is in Christ. This becomes key. Brothers and sisters, let no trial dissuade you. Do not see any problem in life outside of salvation in Christ. What do I mean by that? That the salvation that you have in Christ ought to color everything that you go through. If you don't have this pervading gospel and you have a compartmentalized life, brothers and sisters, you're not going to make it. But let me tell you, if the gospel pervades in every facet of your life, that is where you will find strength. Notice what David says. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? 
The soul is assured. David is saying this. This is assurance of salvation, is it not? He's my salvation. Yet even more, it is the presence of the Lord when in darkness. What David is saying with sure words is I know he is with me. Amen. The Yahweh, that is, that is the word for the Lord there. The holy tetragrammaton. The self-sustaining one. The self-existent one. The one who delivered Israel. The one who has no needs. The one who is dependent on no one. He is my light and my salvation. The word there for light is this bright daybreak. This dawn. That's amazing. As Spurgeon says it this way. Salvation finds us in the dark. But it does not leave us there. Amen. It gives light to those who sit in the valley of the shadow of death. Even if we are in the shadow of death. Valley of the shadow of death. He is my light. Amen. Deliverance. He's rescue, safety, welfare. That's what salvation means. David, we know he is talking about redemption itself. Not just rescue from my enemies, but salvation itself. You can jot these down. We know that David trusted in the Messiah, and I'm not stretching the text. You can see in Acts chapter 2.25, it says, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence. He says of whom? Christ himself. If you look at the context, David trusted in the Messiah, the pre-incarnate Christ. You could write Acts 2.29 and 31. Brethren, I am confident to use regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ. David saw Yahweh as his Lord and salvation. The coming Messiah. And there, that what David says is, therefore I shall not fear. I shall not dread. The word there for dread, amazing, is, is the word for shivering. Trembling. To be in terror. To fear continually. Have you ever, have you ever been in a trial like that? I'm shaking. I can't stop shaking. There's so much stress on me. Oh, saint. The Lord knows what you're going through. Yes, he does. If he has given everything to redeem you, he will give you everything you need in this life. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Notice this intensity of trial, he says in verses 2 and 3. When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. 
you notice that this is talking about the ferocity of his enemies and the trials. Notice in verse 3, though a host encamp around me, my heart will not fear. That is a scary thing when you have enemy troops surrounding you. You're cut off from your own fear on every side. You cannot sleep. There's no, there's no sleep. But notice how it turns. Chapter, uh, verse 4. Verse 4 to 6, he says, One thing I've asked for from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek. Trial. That's amazing. You you just see the experience of David. I love it. The experience of David is the brutal honesty of what happens in trial. One thing I have asked of the Lord, trial tends to focus you, doesn't it? If I were to ask you uh, those most difficult times that you've ever had with trial in your life, you would say Christ was the closest to me at that time. He was there where no one was. He understood He heard me. He listened to me when no one was. And what happens is in trial, you know what the most important thing in the world is. It is to seek him. Amen. He says, because we know a divided heart falls to distraction. It falls to weakness and to disappointment. But trial does have an amazingly focusing effect on your life. You have this right desire to be filled in Christ. And notice he says, all I want to do, this is how you were, brothers and sisters. This is how you were when you first get saved. All I want to do is to sit and remain in his presence. You remember that? And when we go through trial, he reminds us, Am I all you need? Am I all you need? And you say, yes. I just want to sit and remain. And I want to linger in your presence. This looks ahead to the future later on of unbroken fellowship with the Savior. But during a trial, let me tell you, if you're struggling during a trial... And you don't think you have time to linger in the presence of the Lord. Let me tell you, you cannot afford. You cannot afford not to. I used two negatives. right? Linger. And meditate. In his presence. He says, the house of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. 
This is where God dwells in his undiluted glory. This is the same as the vision of Isaiah where God's train fills the temple with glory. This is where God is rightly seen. His rule is uncontested and he welcomes those who know him. And he says, all the days of my life. This is this constant seeking of his presence. All the days of my life, I want to be in his temple. All the days of my life. See, the believer does not. There is no believer that truly grows weary of serving the Lord. Did you know that? You may get tired physically. Go to sleep, come back. And and as a believer, I want to keep doing it. I want to keep being in the presence of the Lord. I want to keep giving him glory. I want to be in the temple all the days of my life. That is the heartbeat of a Christian. And that's the only reason why you're still faithful in the Lord. Now, I love this part. To behold the beauty of the Lord. That is to look upon, to contemplate. And his beauty is that is his pleasantness, his brightness, and his grace. In the scriptures... In the word of God, when the people of God gather, unbelievers see no beauty. But believers see all kinds of beauty. That's why we sing, behold our God. Right? Look at him. Behold his beauty. They believe God to be cold, uncaring, and cruel. We know him to be beautiful, loving, kind. For he has shown us the cross. We're not to be enamored by the things of this world, but enamored by the things of Christ. And to meditate in his temple. That is to inspect diligently, to take care of, to consider. It is this slow gazing upon and contemplating of the beauty of the Lord. His excellencies, what makes him fantastic, what gives him glory, his kindness, his love, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his sovereignty. Notice, he says... I want to go to the temple. Notice this. I want to go to the temple to behold his beauty. It isn't primarily, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to the congregation or to the temple so that people can see me or so that I could see other people. That is only secondary. Notice his primary goal, what absorbs him is I want, and my priority, and David's priority and goal is not, is to see more of the glory of the Savior. I come to see his beauty, to be enraptured, to sit at the feet of Jesus. That would be the same thing. It is that desire that God gave you on this earth, which is the holy occupation of heaven forever and ever. It's not a quiet time just to get it done. It's not a reading just to get a lesson ready. The question is, when was the last time you sat in the presence 
of his word and beheld and gazed at his beauty. His excellencies and thanked him for it. That's it. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. The king's tent was in the center of the army, guarded at all times when they were out for a campaign. When the believer is fearful, the king hosts him. And the king says, I will keep you in the secret place of my tent, in my fully guarded tent. And then he says, he will lift me up on a rock. Moving down, he says here, verse 6, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Joy in singing is a response, the proper response of one who has seen the beauty of God. He, at this church, we don't try and well up feelings We don't try and manipulate the crowd. We just try to show you how beautiful God is. And the people of God respond in singing. There's no manipulation. There's no playing with the lights. There's no smoke machine here. We do this on purpose. So that what is responding to God in joy and singing is simply a response of the truth that is being unveiled of his beauty, of his kindness. We know Colossians 3.16 says that as someone is filled with the word of Christ, as it richly dwells within them, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness. In their hearts to the Lord. David says I will sing. Yes I will sing praises to the Lord. And he confirms his commitment. By repetition. Yeah I'm going to do it. I'm going to sing. Because he is beautiful. Music here is not a. uh, Oh this is a warm up for the preaching. You know. uh, This is just something to do. So people get good feelings. By the time we get to the word of God. No. It is a giving of yourself, brothers and sisters, because of his beauty. Now, here's the temptation. This is why I said, remember, remember, and this is how David sees his trial. Remember, saint, that God redeems. Here's the temptation. In trial, you may have a problem. And you might, the temptation is this. There is no way my salvation in Christ has any relation or can offer any help to my situation. You have to refuse that. That is not what David saw. You know, notice he had enemies around him. And he could very well say, what I need is an army, a bigger army. What I need is bigger military prowess. No, you notice how he sees his Struggle, how he sees his trial. I am surrounded. The Lord is my salvation. It's absolutely false. Because the truth is this. If God has taken away my greatest problem, that is condemnation in hell, who then shall I fear? Do you understand how it's related? If the greatest thing that was against me was my sin... 
And I was going, facing hell and facing punishment for all of eternity. And the Lord Jesus Christ swallowed it all up. Who then shall I fear? Despite the intensity, no matter how difficult my trial may be, it will never be hell. And it grants joy. If I dwell and meditate upon the Lord, that shall settle my heart such that I can have joy and sing in my trials. Oh, brothers and sisters, we know that God has created all of us to honor him and we have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and God sent his son that we may be redeemed. This is why we say it every service Every home group, every discipleship, we give the gospel because nothing can be seen outside of the gospel. Do not fall for the tricks of this world that the gospel has no relevance. Oh, brothers and sisters, everything must be seen in light of the gospel. And that is the whole challenge of the Christian as he or she grows up in this world to see things in light of Christ, in light of the gospel. And the Bible says if you have faith in Christ, you too can be redeemed. He can be your salvation. So remember, saint, when you go through trials, remember that God redeems. Secondly, remember, saint, that God is near. Remember that he redeems and remember that God is near. Notice he says in verses 7 to 12, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me and answer me. Verse 8. When you said, seek my face. I love this. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Seeking the face of God. We are called, you are called brothers and sisters. Oftentimes this is what happens. When we get away from fellowship and you get away from the word of God and you get away from the little things that allow you to keep being, to meditate on the beauty of Christ. And then a temptation comes. We fall. But what the Bible is saying here is, instead we should be, have a constant search a constant desire, a constant pursuit of Christ himself. This is why when God says, this is David saying, when you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. (laughs) You are to respond to his call wholeheartedly. It is a response to his invitation. We are called to respond to his invitation of intimacy. God does not want simply a cursory relationship with you. A superficial relationship with you. A Sunday relationship with you. He wants you to be walking with him. It is the best thing for you. You would respond to his call wholeheartedly. You would respond to his call quickly. Notice, there is no delay between the call and the response. He says, when he said, seek my face, my Lord, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Most times when you feel distant from the Lord, it's because you have not responded to this call quickly. I could attest to that. We're so ready for so many things, for for trips and for sports and for outings. What about a holy readiness? 
Yes, Lord, I'm ready. Yes, Lord, I will do your will. Yes, Lord, I want to read your word. Yes, Lord, I want to preach. I want to pray. I want to meet with people. Yes, Lord, immediately. At his very presence. Then he says, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord. I shall seek. The heart is the the seat, the inner seat of who you are. And what he's saying is that all that is in me is seeking that all that is you, God. So when we talk about our relationship with God, I'm not giving him bits of me, pieces of me. That is the challenge as of the Christian life. God, I want you to have all of me. I'm going to seek you with all that I am. I am not going to have a hypocritical, partial relationship with you. I will endeavor to love you with all my heart, with all my soul and strength. Look not to my feelings, O God, as I would have no standing. I want to be in your very presence, in your face. (coughs) Now God, in the scriptures, in several places, asks you to seek him. It is an active, energetic response that must come from the Christian. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. John six thirty seven says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Hebrews four fourteen and 16 says, therefore we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Lily, give me my water over there on my bag. So that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Thank you. Psalm seventy-three twenty-eight says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Psalm 16:11 says you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand there are pleasures forever and then he reminds us of his terrors verse 9 he says do not hide your face from me do not turn your servant away in anger you've been my help do not abandon me nor forsake me O God of my salvation. Notice he says, do not hide your face. It'd be impossible to seek the face of the Lord if the Lord were to withdraw his face. Any inkling of the withdrawing of God in our lives would be a great affliction. (laughs) Spurgeon said it this way, a smile from the Lord is the greatest of comforts. His frown is the worst of ills. But notice he says, you have been my help. It's quite interesting that when Jesus was on the cross, if you think about this, Jesus was on the cross. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, that, that, that moment of fellowship and favor where God the Father turned away from the Son, God the Son himself was forsaken 
so that you would never be. That darkness you would never feel. Oh, Christian, if you are in Christ, you are in his eternal favor. Amen? You've been my help. He says, he moves on to verse 10. This is the trial of your closest relationships abandoning you because of your relationship with the Lord. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Now, as a side, I have to always say this nowadays especially. This is, these are not folks who say their relationship with their parents is toxic because they call you on your sin, okay? This is, that's kind of what folks are doing. Parents are calling you on your sin and they go, oh, this relationship's toxic. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about folks who have relationship with God and they desire to pursue God and because they desire to pursue God, their closest relationships are ripped. He says, the Lord will take me up. So though your dearest and sweetest friends and relatives depart from you, there is one who will never leave you in the mud. It is Christ himself who will lift you up, who will raise your countenance. Then you have verse 11 and 12, but I'm just going to move on. But you notice... As we are continuing, he says that the second temptation, as I'm talking, the reason why I think it's here is because in trial, you know that God exists, but sometimes you think he just doesn't care or that he's so far away from me. Here, the Bible is telling you, remember, Saint, that God saves and remember, Saint, that God is near. He is my salvation. And lastly, remember, saint, that God is good. I love this. Remember, saint, that God is good. Notice he says here, verses 13 and 14, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I love these two verses. And in fact, I go here a lot. A different translation says, I would have despaired. Another translation says, I, I, I would have fainted. I would have fainted. That gives us a, a fuller kind of understanding. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is not simply, we're not saying that God is good in eternity where God, all of these things will be removed, all of these trials will be removed and you will be with him in eternity. That is true and that is sweet. But here's the sweetness. I don't think, this is what David is saying, I don't think I could have gone on. I don't think I would have had the strength I don't think I could have faced another day unless I know God was going to be good to me now. In the land of the living is now. 
Oh, saint, he's not forgotten you. Do you understand? He's not overlooked you. He sees your tears now. He knows you're at the point of fainting. And he will show his goodness to you. He says here, wait, be strong, be of good courage. Wait for the Lord. The temptation for this is, I know he saved me. I know he is close, but I don't think he's good to me. Oh, brothers and sisters, remember, Christ redeems. Remember, Christ is near. And remember, Christ is good. If the Father has not spared his own son, that's the argument, would he not freely, what? Give us all things. He causes all things to what? Work for the good of those who love him. I know all those verses because that's where I go. God is good. Your God is good. So I was talking to Mike. Now let me finish that conversation. And he says, Angelo, they're going to do that operation again. I may not be able to walk again going to be a hard recovery and we were looking at each other and I was thinking about Ellen and I was thinking about Lily and Noah I said this this is going to be hard again this is going to be hard again and even though he was drugged (laughs) he said I'm trusting in God I'm trusting in his goodness. I said, I know you are. I love you, man. Yes, you are, brother. And I just read some scriptures and I prayed for him. He remembered the goodness of God. Do you remember the goodness of God? You remember his kindness. That's why we celebrate. He has removed your biggest problem. That is your sin problem. By his blood. He was forsaken so you wouldn't be. He has received punishment so you would never. And you will never be cast from his presence. Ever. If you know him. Amen. Father, we pray. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray you would bless this next portion as we are together. I pray that make it 
Let us dwell on your sweetness and your goodness. Lord, I pray you administer to everyone who's going through a difficult time. And fill us with joy as you promise. Joy in singing. Knowing that we, we rest and we put everything into the hands of a good God. In Jesus' name, amen.